my name is also worldwide and I'm an anarchist and I'm a survivalist and a climate scientist an abolitionist and I believe in the apocalypse The old world is ending. And we have the opportunity to rethink everything. This is a show about the systemic problems in our world. And the real solutions we have today. To transition from an apocalyptic storm of war, scarcity, and ecological collapse. To create an abundantly advanced collaborative society. That sustains all life. You may think it's an impossible dream. But the alternative is an inevitable nightmare. We're your hosts, Matt Holton, Amanda Smith, and Zachary Marlowe. And together, we can move past this economic absurdity and come together to actualize our collective potential to create something completely new. We are Mindless Society. Before we dive into another revolutionary dialogue, I want to encourage everyone listening or watching to help keep Moneyless Society free by supporting us on Patreon or through a one-time or recurring tax-deductible donation through our website. All of this is a labor of love, a gift, but we can't keep it going without your support. Help us sow seeds of that new world and get involved with our organization to help them grow. Remember, the light bulb was invented by candlelight. We critique these systems while depending on them because there is no alternative. Yet. Solutions. Get you some. That's a tag that Amanda, who is not with us today, posts often on posts on our social media outlets. And I see these outlets, uh, which are fundamentally designed as argument machines. Don't forget that when you're on these little argument machines. Uh, I see them as beacons to put out a message, a message like a like a lighthouse in a storm to other people, to other people who need help and other people who have help, who have solutions, who are interested in talking about, okay, yes, there are problems, lots of them, lots of people are talking about them, but what do we do about them? So we get a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, coming out of the blue, you know, answering that call. And it's really incredible how far all this, excuse me, all this social media is able to take us and how much that we have proliferated and how how far Amanda has gotten these radical little messages. So today, we are doing a show with one of those people who answered the call, who reached out to us. I have an email here. Um, so on behalf of Eloisa and New Climate Culture, she lives in a solar-powered bus purchased from French engineers who create stage tools for performers like David Copperfield and other musicians, complete with a compost toilet and state-of-the-art solar energy power. It carries her from project to project that she moves to make communities become more resilient, resistant to disasters, and truly self-sustaining. <laughs> Eloisa Lewis, a child of an illegal Mexican immigrant, has spent the past decade living in urban centers on farms, <laughs> homesteads, artist residencies, eco-villages, communes, schoolies, tiny houses, squats, and tents, conducting research and helping build permaculture societies. So, um, new climate culture. That's the that's the org. That's the that's the moniker. Your go-to green team of game changers. New Climate Culture is a team of researchers and creatives converging on the best solutions to reverse global warming and reach international policy goals. So that was the that was the intro. That was the answer to the beacon. Eloise and I, 
Elvis and I, and I connected and totally hit it off. And uh, I just, that is the phenomenon more often than not meeting these people and just finding like instant friends. And so welcome to the show, Eloisa. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about new climate culture, what you're building, what you're doing. And um, let's, let's go on a school, let's go on a magic school bus ride. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. I've been on a few magic school bus rides, man. Like that's really how people first met me in my, what I would call like me really stepping into who I am because I was traveling around the country in hippie buses, feeding people for free. And that's what I did for years without any exchange of money as little as possible. Um, and many days without needing to ever touch money, um, digitally or, um, physically. And so it's cool that I got to link up with your group who is just another community out there who's interested in examining the question of what's valuable. Um, and yeah, my company, new climate culture, let's see. So I, Founded it after becoming a permaculture designer and training with a climate scientist who teaches permaculture. Uh, his name is Kevin Bayek over in San Francisco. He works with Pandora Thomas as well, who owns uh, Earthseed Farms. And um, basically, I decided I saw all these gaps in the marketplace based off of my PDC, my permaculture design certification. And I was identifying that there was nobody filling this role in corporate America um, that was being an established climate group that was ready to confront um, the public with the kind of best solutions in the marketplace um, beyond like some very, uh, some, there's other leaders, but they were literally my teachers. So it was like, it was clear that there was a need for more from my own teachers who were again, training folks like me to step into only more and further of these roles. But of course the company that then would be the inspiration, the, uh, original inspirations for my company would be project drawdown, uh, with Kevin Bayek who trained me. And then, um, Mycosymbiotics, which is owned by William Padilla Brown, and I met him at a festival called Form Festival at Arco Santi, the eco experimental uh, urban city uh, in Arizona. Yeah, there's so much that I relate to um, in your story, in your like background and lifestyle, and like what sort of primed you and educated you. I mean that, like that was my school. That's, that's why I believe in moneyless societies because I've actually spent years of my life living without money with other, you know, hunter gatherers, modern hunter gatherers, people traveling and living in mutual aid arrangements with the people that pick them up when they stick their thumb out on the side of the road or ask, Hey, you got a couch? You're not using it. Can I access it? You know, like a lot of this theory and a lot of these, um, principles of sustainability also have come from this sort of free floating lifestyle where you sort of drift like a seed through the world, you know, experiencing what I would call a great abundance of just having everything you need all the time and more than you need because you you yourself cannot act adequately gauge, you know, what it is you really need and what what it is there in life unless you really throw yourself into this dependence on other people. That to really need other people is a profoundly empowering, not dispossessing thing that people are so afraid of. People, I was really thinking about this lately that people fear freedom more than anything else. They really fear 
you know, being truly free, having no master, having no boss, having no organizational structure in their life, regimenting them, you know, even down to the, the structure of the self, like telling you what to do, like commanding your own life to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Like the Tao Te Ching is all about breaking that, breaking that hierarchical relationship in the self and just truly living in this sort of faith oriented, um, dependency and interdependence, this interbeing with other people that it is a relationship that is so much more powerfully fulfilling and open. And it, 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 a, a traveler I met years ago in Colorado, I, I asked him why he traveled and he said very quickly, like just spit out this really profound sentence that was just like, I don't know, because it irrigates my being of all of the inadequacies of civilization and, you know, cleans me out to my deepest being and, you know, connects me to who I am and, and makes me, you know, honest and open to all the people that I interact with. And so that's just immediately we connected on that basis. And I think there's no need to argue or, or to say, hey, you know, actually money is bullshit. And actually, you know, they created this way. It's just like you get it. And I think that's really rare and, and important. And it, it drives you naturally to like, okay, what are the best, what are the freest ways to live? Like, how can we scale this? How can we spread this? How can we give people this experience? Because it's intoxicating. Absolutely. And I do feel that a big part of it is faith, but also there's kind of practical elements like um, social equity. So just making sure that um, like you're making meaningful relationships with the people you are connecting with, because that's like, it's not to say that this lifestyle of not having money will be the answer to everything. And suddenly all of our human problems are going to disappear. It's just that that's one particular center of our problems and many problems will be eliminated but new problems and challenges will also emerge and that's what's really exciting about what i think um we get to do in our lifetime and our children and their children will get to do is come up with strategies and protocols of culture and exchange to replace what the dominant um system is right now being based in money it's really cool. I, I'd like to interject too. I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, you live that kind of lifestyle, honestly. And I always wanted to live uh, like that. I wanted to go, um, you know, commuters. I wanted to just kind of live off the grid and join some sort of like, uh, you know, eco village even. And um, what happened is I ended up, um, you know, I was kind of a promiscuous teenager and everything. And I had some issues, but I ended up having a kid at a young age. And, um, and, it's not, you know, not that I regret having a child or anything. I love my daughter. She's, you know, 20, she's 20 in her twenties now. But, um, you know, on the other hand, I had to pay child support all those years and it was very difficult for me to live any sort of kind of this nomadic lifestyle like that yet at the same time, come up with enough money to pay child support. Um, you know, so I was kind of forced really to stay in one place and, and work, you know, and, and pay essentially because if I didn't pay child support, I was going to go to jail, you know, in, in Texas. Like it was like and I wanted to I also didn't want to be a bad father either. I had like I moved back to Houston was where, where my daughter was for, um, you know, many years, several times and uh, worked in the corporate world. You know, I worked in like, you know, selling phone service to businesses, walking inside, you know, corporation you know, business after business, literally trying to sell them phone service and, uh, you know, host lots and lots of other jobs, you know, that I've had, I've had over a hundred jobs in my life. And many of those jobs were in pursuit of child support. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was kind of like, and so it was, I ended up kind of being forced to do the opposite. Um, but I always kind of wanted to do something like that. And, and so it was just kind of this like dichotomy where I felt like I, I wasn't really, you know, um, made out for, 
the you know the corporate world and and jobbed USA America and everything but and I kind of wanted to live more of this <laughs> you mean <laughs> you know, freedom you mean yeah, you were cut exactly. out for I'm, ultimate freedom <laughs> <laughs> there's like gatherings where there's rainbow gatherings where you can go and see them kind of in discreet moments like for a week or for a month and then there's also like going and taking vacations on retreats where it's not necessarily like you're in a totally nomadic lifestyle in a bus but like you're supporting retreat centers and communes that are in their infancy or in their development um and yeah, and then you meet the travelers, you meet the nomads anyway, and it kind of rubs off anyway because they're the ones who are flittering through, and you're and you're maybe you have a house and they sleep on a couch, but you're in the same party, which is fun and um, supporting the same group. Exactly, and I think you know, and as as time goes on, we'll probably be able to do more stuff like that. And I would like to expose you know my son now to kind of just more of that community, and it's you know my daughter's an adult now, so it's not like you know. I'm, who knows? Maybe she would <laughs> do something like that with us eventually. But, but um, I think it'd be kind of cool just to kind of like build that, you know, the family aspect into the community aspect as as well, or to be able to do that sometimes. And and um, you know, on one hand, I'm you know, like I said, I love my kids and I really appreciate them. But on the other hand, I it would it would have been really cool to kind of been able to live that sort of lifestyle that a lot of a lot of people are able to do that because they don't have a financial obligation like that. And um. And it was just kind of, you know, just kind of, I'm sure I know there's a lot of other people yeah, with children it, it and everything like that, you know, children and Ex having exactly social equity, you know, is so valuable too, because when we, when we can't, whether it's a mother supporting a child by themselves or a father supporting a child by themselves or whatever, whomever, yeah. however, um, a child supporting themselves. I mean, lots of children go up in houses with unreliable parents and siblings and enough that we have to sometimes raise ourselves. And I think that, um, like, yeah, we, whether it's child support or taxes or whatever, there has to be like a better way to the same solution, which is basically community wellness. Yeah. Um, the exactly. idea behind those. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that, yeah, I, I'm not really someone who ever wants to look for punishment for people. Like if we can all figure out a way where everyone can be happy and where they want to be doing what they want to be, that is of course, like how I think we can self-organize without um, so many rules and regulations on us. Yeah. And, and there's lots of ways to do that too. And I think, you know, just the more people kind of open up and talk to each other and cooperate and, you know, just form, you know, various agreements and structures and alliances and networks and, you know, just start helping each other in any way they can. And again, kind of just being, you know, direct. And I, I, I want to almost you say bypass the trade mechanism and the currency mechanism a lot of the time and just start freely sharing things, just start cooperating and start giving without really expecting anything in return. And just kind of knowing that if you keep doing that, it's going to come back around to you sooner or later, one way or the other. And, and, it, and I think in a lot of the situations, it will for a lot of people, too. I mean, it's I'm, I can't, you know, guarantee there's, you know, there's no guarantees in life or anything. But I I think if there's one kind of paradigm shift, you know, that needs to happen within humanity, it's just that there is enough to go around as long as people just agree that there's enough to go around. Right. And you know? land, is, <laughs> land is like the beginning of property. Land is the beginning of money to me because yeah. land is when we're no longer able to just exist. We're no longer able to just stand in one spot reliably on earth without fear that we might be beaten, killed or taxed 
for standing there and yeah. or jailed you know etc and yeah. so that's like the beginning of the violence where then um we need this money and not getting money is becomes violence then not being able to have access to money wherever it's coming from whether it's a boss or a family member or anything suddenly becomes what the the new violence is the translation of violence and then it just keeps reverberating out and i think people are very confused there's a lot of violence in society and they're confused like where is the source who's the source is it a race is it a culture is it a country um is it a conspiracy theory and for me i'm like guys it's land like land is the issue like let's imagine let's keep everything about capitalism but imagine if just land wasn't a part of capitalism and that that one part would solve so many problems people could still exchange so much um, services and goods, but if we could just have a break where ho being homeless or houseless isn't illegal, and we could have a break where you don't have to buy land in or it doesn't, it's all land is public or the majority of land or something is made public and for community again, then so suddenly we have time to actually sit and think and solve our problems instead of running from one uh, burning building to the, another with a half of a bucket full of water. Yeah. So the, uh, the enclosure of the commons is like one of the earliest, you know, historical shifts into, you know, capitalism as we know it. And it's really essential function because if people can just go chill and live in the woods, you know, infinite rainbow gathering style, they're not going to go and, you know, create, you know, uh, market, they're not going to go create profits for shareholders. You know, they're not going to go and submit themselves to bullshit jobs. Guys. They're not going to go into that arrangement that is so predatory that it makes having a child like a hostage situation. You know, that 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 situation is is actually essential to capitalism, I think. It would radically change the world, you know, to to take away one element of that. And I think that's the essence of systems thinking and why it's so important to see things in this interconnected way because they're so fragile, you know, even in this parasitic sense, they're so interwoven and interconnected that, you know, land like, like, uh, homelessness and land ownership and prison and all of these things are woven into this aspect of this, this rentier class that's keeping us in this position that's, that's continually gobbling up more land and sitting on it for extended periods of time because it's worth more as a poker chip than it is, or as a strip mine or as a parking lot <laughs> than it is as an ecosystem. So Elsa, I want to kind of um, Elsa Eloisa. Oh, either way, yeah, either way is great. Eloisa, I started with Eloisa, so I have to I have to stick with it. So my question for you at this point to kind of talk more about uh, what is what does your company do? What is your company doing to sort of take this uh, this knowledge and understanding? There's a lot of interesting uh, terms kind of thrown around on the website. Permaculture. Um, there's a discussion of some uh, technologies for uh, water filtration purifiers, creating microclimates. I'm really interested. It, it, it's a beautiful website and there's a lot of uh, tantalizing words, but I'm, I haven't done a, a full deep dive yet because I kind of want to get it from the source. What What is new climate culture and, and um, how can we create that shift? Right. So we are teaching biology and economics, which is really the combination of what our, what our programs revolve around biomimicry and permaculture which is in biology or astrobiology terraforming words like that all apply um microbiology because we're dealing with soil and um fungi and uh just in general um cell analysis and um DNA analysis and then we're also it's for biodiversity and we're also talking about economics we're talking and of 
um, because we're teaching people how to create businesses that respect the nature and create circular economies that are from regenerative sources instead of um, finite sources uh, or just dangerous sources in general. Like we want the low risk longevity system, systems that are going to be able to like, you can walk away from it for most of your life if possible, or like, you know, only seasonally interact with it or yearly or every few years. That's the kind of interactions we want with our systems when we think about our lifestyles. Um, but the current systems we have are incredibly high maintenance and um, break all the time and, and they're built obsolescence. And so that's how the economics works is to overturn quickly so that people have to keep getting more money to keep buying more things because the things that we buy are subscription based or gonna break within a few years and need repair from specialists or from the company or whatever. And um, there's very few and far between companies that are really building for value and longevity so that you could have something that you could potentially pass on to another generation at least. Um, but our systems are looking at that um, 400 year timescales, 700 year timescales, um, timescales of how long can we uh, let it alone before it breaks um, or before it needs to be revised. So the systems are very living. And when it comes to the water filtration, that also has to do with the general permaculture technology that we're employing, being understanding how water is naturally filtered through minerals and soils uh, and through gray water systems um, and in natural watershed systems so that we don't have to rely on municipal water or um, external sources of water, no matter what bioregion we're in. Um, and that also then creates a microclimates um, because the general design of what a permaculture system is draws water into it from the atmosphere um, and call, sort of calls to the water in the way that physics works to magnetize it, to draw it to where uh, the life is or where like certain geographical regions call in more water because of um, the their topology. Um, so we're looking at all kinds of factors, environmental factors across systems as permaculture designers. That's really what makes um, permaculture into being a climate science is being able to look at planetary system ecosystems and bioregions interacting across whole regions instead of looking at discrete minor um, or like data intensive um, discrete moments. We're looking at whole analog systems with their full complexity. Um, so it's huge, huge data sets and so large that um, and so unpredictable that that's again where we're getting into what is thermodynamics, what is astrobiology, what is climate science. Um, but the great part about new climate culture and my cohorts is that we are some of the most interesting and talented um, biologists in our fields. And like, for example, working with someone like Ashley Lillis, who's been a uh, director for the Caribbean con conservation in with the Nature Conservancy, um, also owns their own company called Sound Ocean Science. Uh, Ashley's one of the few people in the world who knows how to regrow coral reefs um, and farm mm -hmm. them. And uh, working with 
Dr. Brian Van Herzen, who grows kelp in the Philippines right now is his major initiative for uh, filtering water and providing sustainable agriculture while also repairing coastlines, providing habitat, sequestering carbon. The benefits of working with us are truly innumerable. They're truly all over the place and um, intersecting with all the most important needs, which are filtering water, uh, filtering air, and providing clean food to people. I just want to draw a comparison right there to sort of a perfect illustration of the contrast between the relationship of sort of parasitism that occurs between people in this exchange trade paradigm, you know, of someone is taking something from someone else. You have a renter that's charging rent from a dispossessed peasant, and that creates this instability. It creates you know, mental illness, it creates stress, it creates violence, it creates all these negative externalities and these effects that trickle down and ultimately turn into trash in the environment. They turn into, you know, all kinds of negative effects. Whereas when we do something that it seems as simple as bringing water back into an ecosystem, creating ponds, creating, you know, uh, a living connected system, you know, it, the, the effects are so exponential. And we create this feedback loop of nature uh, magnifying itself, just just growing and growing and changing and changing phases. That it is so complicated, we like we really can't understand it. And you know, and like it, it, I was uh, reading something that was talking about trying to um, uh, map energy and ecosystems and basically turn it like monetize it, you know, in a tokenized basis. Like we can't calculate nature and its complexity. So it's like we have to actually switch to. A very different kind of calculation method, which is qualitative almost. It's it it's very unpredictable. I think that's an interesting thing that a lot of permaculture designers talk about is that things are unpredictable. You don't expect things to happen. There's so much complexity, even in you know a, a, a small yeah, food forest, even for in chaos an acre of land. Is the key. So that's mm -hmm. why we're building these resilient, wonderful ecosystems is because we have observed what nature does to. Uh, avoid chaos and extinction events in its own um, way. And we're just really taking that and mimicking it and speeding up the timeline because we have the ability to move uh, water and seeds and energy and information much more quickly than we've ever been able to before. Also, I wanted to point out again to just underscore this incredible point that you know we're making together, which is the idea that Land is a planet Earth, land on planet Earth is a pretty relatively finite resource. And what new climate culture is doing is not selling finite resources and saying, oh, we've only got one Mona Lisa, so give me all this money for this one Mona Lisa that exists. Instead, we're saying we've got Mona, we've got infinite Mona Lisas as long as you've got soil, we've got seeds. And theoretically, we can continually propagate life. Life is the gift that keeps on giving. Life is itself the gift that is the circular economy. And so when we work with life instead of against it, we stop running into finite resources and we start running into the renewable resources, which are circular, so theoretically infinite. Hmm. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like you're really into the, like, the whole regenerating the... Um, 
environment and just in the biosphere and the earth in general. And, uh, you know, I think that's probably one of the most important things. And, and one of the, and one of the things that most people downplay a lot in the solutions category, because, um, everybody's all just like, well, we got to stop burning fossil fuels, but you also need to turn on, you know, you need to open the drain to the bathtub. You can't just shut off the water. If, you know, I mean, you can shut off the water, but it's still going to, you know, the tub is overflowing already and you that's can't need to get some of the water. It. Right. And so, you yeah. need to you need to actually open the drain too, and the drain is the the drain is the environment, you know. And we need to work with the environment in as many ways as we can to actually get you know the carbon going back into the soil and restoring the health of the soil and the coral reefs and all the you know little critters that are out there, which we've killed seventy percent of in the last fifty years, uh, and, and do everything we can to actually bring back that biosphere and every and all these you know animals and biodiversity and uh, and. You know, it's it, turning turning off the cars is only half the battle. We have to actually pick up, you know, a shovel and put some seeds in the ground, <laughs> and and move some soil around, and and you know, start creating things, including what we eat, in more regenerative fashions. And uh, that's, I think, one of the biggest keys. And and most overlooked things also for a lot of people, but it's something that we as an organization are also trying to really promote too. So I think we're very much in line with you, you know, on that. Um, and I. I it's really cool that you're into that much stuff also it's it's kind of almost overwhelming that you know you go that far in the future and you're really talking about these ecosystems on such a large scale and um you know working directly with nature and things like that i think it's really cool you know we're um I, we're we just bought you know uh, about 20 acres in valley center not too long ago ourselves and we're trying to get some sort of regenerative farm going and stuff like that what would you suggest you know for us i mean i love mycology i heard you mention what is it my mycobiometrics or something like that is that is that mycology like fungi and mushrooms that you're into also and i, I was going to try to start like maybe some little side project to growing mushrooms in the garage also. And I'm kind of wondering like if, you know, if I'm, if I'm somebody that, you know, wants to do regenerative agriculture and I'm into mycology and things like that, what can I do? You know, what are the best, some of the best advice that you could give to somebody like me who is, you know, trying to, you know, make a difference with a little piece of land and, you know, maybe some, you know, tinkering around in their garage or something like that. I mean, can we, can we work directly with people like you or, you know, is that, is that something that you don't really do or I mean, what would you suggest? It, or Yeah. It depends on what resources you have. So if you're working from no extra money, then I recommend going to Heather Jo Flores um, website and checking out her free uh, women's permaculture course. And that's free for everyone and applies to everyone. And it's excellent. And beyond that, there's also Andrew Millicent on YouTube who has countless, countless videos on um, really heady permaculture stuff like where's the best place to build a house on your land and stuff like that factoring all the environmental well, factors him. and he, he did this he did this he did this really great uh, video about design, designing permaculture neighborhoods and he was just talking about at the beginning like how stupid simple this stuff is south facing wall you know positioning things together you know putting a garden between rows of houses so that you create shade and create these food like it's, it's he's an amazing simple, communicator but, uh, but like i'm really glad i went to school for it <laughs> like it's so um, it's it's amazing it's a, so, it's a whole we're so stupid that we do things before <laughs> even thinking about them so that's the exactly. thing is like getting finding experts like this who can and who have. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what i do 
Yeah, yeah. So, so like, that's oh, where yeah. I would start. Should have thought about that. Stuff. And then, no, but that's so many of us because we didn't grow up in a culture that had to acknowledge any of this. So, like, mm-hmm. people, you know, we trusted that the people who, that the contractors who built these houses were doing something reasonable. But and it's not that they weren't doing something reasonable. They did have reasons. Their reasons just aren't the same priorities as our reasons now that we're in this awareness of, oh, wait, um, this type of building is basically built like a matchbox when a fire comes through a wildfire comes through the region or something like that. Um, or, or it's a, so many homes people live in are filled with like what black mold, asbestos, all this stuff. It's fascinating to me the the refugee human, like the refugee conditions that people will put themselves in under the guise that it's living a normal life, that it's just what people do. Like, like the whole, the whole like divide between, you know, the, the perspective, I love the perspective that world travelers and hippies and dirty kids have about people living in Babylon in their houses. That it's just like, why would I want to live in that box and inhale black mold and, and, you know, just like catch on fire. I mean, I just, I really, I'm in a box right now myself. It's a rare thing for me. I'm, I'm, I should be out on the road, you know, but I'm uh, here. I am trying to, you know, accrue something and create something larger than myself. So it, it requires a change in perspective and values, but it's like, the things we settle for in this culture are so suffocatingly, (laughs) they're just, they're so insufficient and so silly. And I just wanted to make this point earlier. You were talking about, um, you're going into the biological solutions and it's like people like Bill Gates, the technocrats, the people that are in charge and making decisions and like have this incredible platform to talk about solutions. They are so completely allergic to anything to do with life that it's all like creating a machine it's to a suck carbon out of the air. Too. It's the dumbest and they thing in the world. they don't know who to hire properly because a lot of these think tanks are echo chambers and they're just being fed their own unimaginative bs back and forth across the ping pong table and i think that so many empty promises i mean i was looking at like some papers from the 90s from like prince charles and probably bill gates and just other powerful uh status quo um rulers i'll call them monarchs you know of all kinds and lords over the land and i just am sick to my stomach considering they're so intelligent, but they still haven't figured out. And literally, I mean, work, they work with computers. I come from an AI background. This is how I figured it out. Like coming from a computer background, you can see that there's no protocol that is an overarching protocol coming from any top down organization that is going to be more powerful than something that can teach and learn and self govern. So just like through that same idea that they want to control the genetics, solve things in a lab, hyper control, hyper, um, manipulation and patents and things like that to try and solve our problems, but kind of with like a yolk on them or domesticated, solve the problems, but do it in a domesticated way so that the animal's not wild and doesn't run free. But the open source knows that every, all the information is free available and should be shared. And so anything that goes against that is, is already sick and ill as a system. And so, yeah, they're just participating in these totally 
these systems that are built to be on life support and just provide life support instead of actually creating living, thriving systems. We're just plugging ourselves into life support systems, whether it's uh, a company, a corporation that's got a patent on something that we all need, or whether it's um, a literal, uh, you know, life support system that's sustaining um, and so like what whatever the concept of of life is it's all all needs to be put into question about like what is the status quo of what we're doing and is it actually life affirming or just we so sensitive to the truth and reality of what wilderness is that it's unfair that it's savage unpredictable chaotic and unsafe that we are just we've tried so hard to overturn that truth in every way and be creative and overturn it and and usurp that truth which we never can and never should and never will because again that's it's the essence of free will itself for me again as a computer scientist and as an ai person the the desire for life to simply rip to experiment with the rules that it's been given and to rip off any chains any yolks any kind of domestication um we find in animals that domestication weakens their their entire systems their immune systems their birthing systems their jaws everything becomes weaker through domestication not stronger and i think humans again this is not new this is part of what i've heard for years since i was in university there's schools of biologists like myself who believe that you know domestication is basically a just another form it can be taken such into it can be taken into such illness when it's not close to wilderness when when domestication is not truly embedded in wilderness but instead um domestication becomes the prevalent like system that is the the kind of reason why we're in this total system failure um, worldwide, because everything, like you said at, at the beginning of the podcast, you said, you mentioned people like authority. They like being told what to do. They don't like to be taught or they don't like to think for themselves. That's the symptoms of domestication. That's slavery. slavery as domestication. We are, it, we are like being farmed. Our attention, our money, our time, our energy is being farmed for profit preach yeah i just there's so much i wanted to uh, add to that and and reinforce in that that it really just perfectly epitomizes that allergy to freedom you know that total fear of life's creative process and its its vicissitudes of creativity and innovation and the real genius of something that is not in our control and that these technocrats have to be in control of everything and they don't understand that they're just creating so much work for themselves I, I want to weave in the um, the basically the, the algorithm. We were talking about the the houses, the reasons that houses are made with so, so many poor decisions, and it's ultimately that I had this realization the other day that what money is, what the market is in our society today, is a giant artificial intelligence, an algorithm that we filter every single decision in our world through. And if it doesn't pass the algorithm, the final you know like goal of that algorithm is make that line go up, it which which really is destroy nature, turn it into absolute nothingness, turn it into vaporized ones and zeros in a computer. And so our whole system is being run by this crazy machine mind, by these people that aren't in control of it, that they serve this thing. They're gathering data and farming us and themselves for it to create this 
this nothing, this anti-life equation, as my friend Arjun calls it. Totally. And it, it, it's just it's just gotten us so out of whack here. And and I think that in bringing together, like it's it's interesting to think about the. Um, there's a great film by uh, Adam Curtis called Central. Um, all watched over by machines of love and grace. Oh, I've seen that. A, that was such a big influence in my life. Wow. Yeah. They were they were talking about the um, the relationship between the formation of ecology as a science, like a Western science, not as something that indigenous people have practiced as like this like the relationship that has maintained humanity forever like having a relationship to life, but studying ecosystems in this way that it was inspired by circuitry. It was inspired by like cybernetics. And so the, our Western interpretation and understanding of nature has always been filtered through the circuit, has been filtered through the computer. And I think there's there's a lot of, you know, especially with the AI art being able to like, or not AI art, like AI design algorithms being able to create to genuinely create, you know, with actual creativity to create, you know, coral reefs and to create structures that are actually natural in their structure and organization that we are actually approaching a point of organic intelligence and co-evolution with intelligences that we have created that are bringing us actually closer to an ability to understand nature's principles. But it's just this is this is a really interesting like point of com of of convergence here that we talk about a lot here is this kind of biotechnical like merging our, our consciousness with nature and with machines that allow us to interconnect and network our consciousness and to conceive of it beyond these these really silly reductions of reality that are our yeah. decision-making matrices like money yeah and the problem with like machines are that they're like really they're high maintenance so like our bodies are also machines that are relatively high maintenance but we rely on them because we're embodied in them but these machines they're not great at taking care of themselves. Um, they're still on life support, were their life support. So it's an interesting evolution and it's one, it's an open question for the sages and for the ages, like is artificial intelligence truly possible? Um, I'll let people know if there's any updates on my philosophy throughout my life, but I still stand by the idea that it's not possible to program intelligence into binary mathematics or into regular carbon-based, like, um, and silicon-based technologies that, like, we basically have access to today. So if there's something that exists in the future that I don't know about that's not codependent on what we're currently doing, then I could conceive of being wrong. But based off of everything that I know about these systems, I don't think the current systems that we're working in are capable of intelligence in the way that we, that life is, that life spontaneously is every moment in a, in a cell, like a single cell orga organism is far more complicated and interesting to me than my laptop. Um, because one of them is, I, I know the source of the laptop, but the source of the single-celled organism is a lot more mysterious. Um, and so it's getting closer to the source, for example, if you look at it like on a production line. Um, so the single-celled organism is closer to the source than me, and the computer is farther from the source. And so the question is, like, what what are we doing and why? And so I, when it comes to technology, I think that our technology should really serve humans. Um, 
absolutely like that i think that's fine technology should serve humans but the problem is that it's, it's mostly not um a lot of the time it's not um and or if it is it's kind of accidentally often um but the real supercomputer is the mind that's truly like the proof that i would stand on um as an as a cognitive philosopher um and person who is an artificial intelligence researcher the mind is are has all of the um architecture and um evidence that it's already a quantum supercomputer and it's us cultivating our own minds that's going to unlock the singularity not anything else or less like i think that it's passing the singularity on to our machines is too big of a problem for them to handle um because of the way that denumerable mathematics works which means countable mathematics which is binary mathematics or finite mathematics infinite finite finite mathematics or different series of infinities can be finite it's kind of weird nerdy stuff but um basically that's that's what i have to say about ai is that like we can do we can create living systems that are better than any um computers but that doesn't mean that like robots shouldn't help us um because robots can be great like robots and computers and stuff can be great especially if they're automating our worst um jobs for humans the most dangerous jobs that's like really when the times for machine is to shine is when we can replace dangerous mundane and um just repetitive um jobs where a person would have to be living in misery doing that um and we can free up humans with with machines but if we're not freeing up people's times with our machines then yeah we're already in the realm of um this kind of dangerous uh relationship with our technology that is distracting us from nature again we're being controlled by it um yeah, there's there's something that there's like a, a a point that's like it's not even fully articulated in my guts that it's something that, that we kind of talk about here a lot about creating this sort of open source intelligence and I was just thinking about like I don't even I wonder really even if we are, ourselves have like true intelligence true agency true free will I think that we are ourselves nodes in a network of intelligence that makes us all up. We are all sensors. We are all giving feedback to a much larger intelligence. And I think uh, as Marshall McLuhan defined technology as extensions of man, extensions of humanity, I think our ability to you know, study things on the, the molecular level and our ability to uh, have a drone fly over an ecosystem and be able to have an AI that can map you know, the ways that things are interacting together or have sensors in the soil that are able to tell us what it needs, what it, what it has a surplus of, et cetera, how we can create this, uh, you know, global collaborative design system and this resource-based economy that is based on, you know, sensing that what the world needs, what the people need and how we can utilize these systems to create this, this flow, this, get this, this fluid circulatory gift economy, this mycelial network that enables our societies, not a machine above us in this Bill Gates, you know, mega mind, you know, construct, but this system that is truly horizontal, that is dispersed, that all of us are contributing to something so much greater than all of us, that there, there could be no leader. There can be no constraint on human creativity, on life's creativity. And the fact that we have this, these systems that are based on electing individuals into that, it's just the dumbest system imaginable. Yeah, it's definitely always like <laughs> about p passing the responsibility and the buck. Like, 
on to someone else until all of a sudden there's famine and and it's not like it's a new problem in civilization we've studied it for centuries and dynasties of of human interaction that um we pretty much seem to cycle through the same problems dealing with our emotions dealing with finite resources and land and cultural clashes and if we can get back to the idea like you're kind of saying that we're like nodes in a network then we might think of ourselves as human family with similar needs and if we all have similar emotional and 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 physical needs maybe we can cooperate to meet those needs instead of living in scarcity to um bicker and fight and war over there's some kind of scarcity in of love or scarcity of um food instead of just solving the scarcity problem because it's not that i don't believe people when they're telling me that they are starving it's that i want to feed them it's i'm just not i'm not afraid of them coming and robbing my pantry um so and if i am uh well i should probably get out in the street with them and start looking for more food because if they're going to rob my whole house of food then i'm going to need to go along with them to go find more food anyway yeah it's, uh, it's also like why have so much food in your pantry that it could spoil when you can just give it to the people around you and then they can turn that into the caloric energy for them to create more food so that you have even exactly, more you know exactly, creating a natural exactly. feedback loop yeah use my use my regenerative pantry to feed people and teach them how to um teach a man how to fish is the old phrase um and feed him for life and that's totally what the idea is with new climate with um me and my friends and i we're very interested in like the skillshare and just those are the real cultural pearls and treasures that we can pass on um to our friends and family is just any knowledge that we can acquire in this lifetime like you said about like Uh, like you said, Matt, about growing mushrooms or starting this um, hobby farm, like I definitely think that that will be the greatest of greatest value. Um, uh, Besides, of course, there's like other things, but I think that's like the hard tangible value that you can provide a family member is like, here's a safe piece of land where there is food and water. Like that's really, and shelter, food, water, and shelter, and a safe piece of land that you might, um, be able to hold on to for some generation or more and uh, it's sad that that is the most like precious commodity and that we've basically been exploited to the point of um global extinction to provide that for one another when maybe like the again the rules we're just all playing different rules and games and and this current system of politics and money is just it's like a monopoly game it's someone some group of people or someone or some group think or some many generations of information created that system and now we're in it and playing it and there's a lot of us who are like let's make it a new game um, because this one is traumatizing and terrible and and then there's the people who love the game and are benefiting from it and when we say that they say oh you're just weak you just would never it's because you're losing it's because you're losing the game that you don't want to play this game and that's very manipulative behavior that's why i like talking about trauma and colonization with children and with families because it starts with these types of manipulations where it's gaslighting right that's also a symptom of gaslighting people are saying hey government or corporation i'm ill with the water that's coming out of my local sink or i um 
can't afford to feed my children or um, what have you, you know, all these problems that we have that are very real and, and based in real needs. And we're, sh and we're taught to be ashamed of our needs. We're taught to be ashamed of having feelings, being hungry, um, crying out in pain when pain is happening um, or crying out in anger when there's injustice that we observe. Um, and that's really so tragic. And that's why so many people are in a complete, like they've habituated this abuse into their own lives, families, and um, jobs. Cause they're, they're so used to accepting it and that there's no other way. And that's what they're told too. It's like, either you're losing the game and that's why you're mad. Cause you're just losing the game. You just, Oh, you're not rich yet. Oh, you're not that yet. Well, you're just losing the game. Of course you don't like the game or it's going to be, um, you know, you are, uh, on the fringes of society in some kind of cult or, um, you're, you know, it could be your, neurodivergent or all these other things that could come up for people because they don't want to accept the truth that you're that you're expressing i'm uncomfortable with this game that's like consent i'm uncomfortable with this hostage situation it's not rewarding for me and um that's scary for people to admit and it's scary for any of us to admit because think about that's the paradigm shift that's another one of those paradigm shifts like the land where just admitting a huge number of people are not even comfortable with admitting that there's anything wrong with the current system for fear that that would mean again, they have to reevaluate their part in it. Um, but like crisis and, um, admitting our feelings and all that is like when we have these huge breakthroughs in life, um, and breakdowns are often breakthroughs. So like if you're, going toward that dissatisfaction in life and you're not making any choices to change, your life might break at some point because you're continuing to try to apply the, these rules and these ideas um, that you've acquired and they don't explain what's going on and life wasn't predictable and uh, now you have to deal with it. And that's again, the resiliency, the trauma, the decolonization, because it's not a matter of like, is are bad things going to happen? It's more like when, and this is another whole conversation with, I have with like the kind of spiritual communities I work through because there's so many spiritual communities caught up in the toxic positivity and the toxic, um, like I'm here for the gratitude and I'm here for the peace, but I'm not here for people getting assaulted. And then the response to that assault being like, um, you know, there should can be, you no stop, can you stop negging? Can you stop harshing my vibe? Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's the uh, it's the mentality that like people won't talk about slavery when slavery is the third largest cause of carbon emissions. If slavery was a country, it would be the third largest carbon emitter. Enslaved people, brutal, low conditions, the poorest of the poor, enslaving those even poorer. Like we have to talk about the bad things because that's where the solutions are. We feel pain for a reason. Because it's feedback. It's a prime signal telling us to learn and adapt and overcome. I just wanted to say this. This was a, I think it's maybe the, maybe the, one of the worst, most narcissistic things a human being can do in 2020, 2023 is read their own tweets out. But I thought this came out really sharp. This was, people would rather believe that they're a loser and a failure than accept that they lack free will. That their lives have been shaped by forces far beyond their control that cause them pain and ruin intentionally. 
Admitting you've been disempowered is the first step to regain control. Admitting that none of this is natural, that win or winners or losers, because I rich people are fucking unhappy too. You know, beautiful old song, hundred year old song, satisfied mind. There's not a rich man in uh, there's not a rich man in ten with a satisfied mind. That you know, that we're not happy. That we're not we're limited. Even the the fucking top dog in the world, the the Bezos, the Musk. These guys are clearly miserable. You know, they're not happy. They're if, limited. Even if, they even if they're happy, they're having a blast. They're, they're, they're being limited. It's a sad, sick joyride, considering everything else that's going on. Like, if that's what it takes <laughs> to be happy is to be Jeff Bezos, then yeah, we might as well all kill ourselves so that he doesn't have our fucking Amazon profit anyway. Because it's like, like, it's like it's like going on a roller coaster and like you're like going up and you're uh, seeing this view of all these slums and the people around you, but you're on a roller coaster because it's like so fun. You're like, whoa, yeah, you're yeah, someone's a blow job and you're getting your foot massage. And that's why it's all fine. It must be a really fun, delusional fucking dreamland universe for those people to live in. But they've got no imagination anyway. Like, like even even if they like they're not super like they're not living the supervillain life that they could be living you know oh thank god we should form a consulting like, agency imagine... to help billionaires become more supervillainous <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely wouldn't i wouldn't have a problem working with a single person on the planet including musk or bezos like i'd be happy to sit down with them in fact i'd be over the moon because i'd be exactly who i'd know that i know i know that i feel like i would have perfectly interesting and valid things to say but and and also be interested in in actually having a debate since debate is my background as a philosopher and it's one of my hobbies but regardless it's really about just what is the truth and getting things simplified again down to uh pro-social behaviors or anti-social behaviors and a lot of these behaviors that these uh the wealthiest exhibit are anti-social behaviors um and we need them to return to pro-social behaviors so that they can redistribute wealth and resources um otherwise it's going to be a matter of yeah they're going to have their property eventually stolen from them either by the, the nicest way to put it <laughs> yeah it's going to be either it's going to be very bloody it's going to be extremely gross i mean it, it's i buckminster fuller said something like it, we have two choices you know bloody revolution you know that's that's one-sided where you know everyone loses or a cool-headed design science revolution where all benefit where we all realize our collective needs that we're all in the same boat that we have you know, none of us chose to be born rich or poor into this game and that, you know, we we don't have really truly have a free will. We don't really have the freedom in this system that we think we do. And to acknowledge that and accept it and to recognize our limitations together collectively to say, I don't have this. We have this, though. We can figure this out. I can't figure this out, though. And as long as we live in this perma silo, individuals competing even competing to save the world. What a sickening thing that we have people that are competing to be the person that's saving the world instead of oh, just totally. having the humility to say, let's work together, please. Like, let's live. Let's have a planet that we can live on. Yeah. Like, like someone... think about the, the think about all the species that go extinct sitting in traffic. I'm just screaming. I'm not angry at the person honking me. I'm not angry at the person that cut me off, but I'm angry that a species has gone extinct in this conversation probably right. oh, you know that sure. life is just is so fragile and it's so interconnected and it's so beautiful and precious and we're losing unimaginable intelligence that took so many billions of years to develop yep. that we are literally dependent upon 
Yeah, like that's why, you know, we're powerful beings. We're powerful destroyers and givers of life. And we've been on the destruction binge. Um, things are out of balance. Power's out of balance. And we're, I agree, like it's, I think there's three outcomes generally. There's infinite, but like the kind of three along with the bunk mister, it's like we're going to have, I think it's going to be a combination, honestly, because that's already what it is it's, it's yes it's and situation a it's a combination of it's already happening collapsing and revolving yeah and- security is being destroyed and dissolved by the environment itself by the natural disasters themselves which revolt against the structure of basically a non-nomadic um tribal lifestyle the best the most resilient lifestyles are ones <laughs> where you can move around to counter the weather because you can freedom away from the weather if it's too hard be adaptive to not be exactly. living in an anchor exactly yeah. exactly and exactly then, and then so that's the environment's already destroying the securities the securities you know that's what they call it in the business world which is basically any investment and um and then it's going to be, yeah, getting stolen or violently robbed, which is already happening across all angles. People steal from one another energy, time, goods, all kinds of things, land. Um, and then the last is, like you said, the, the optimistic, um, self-organizing, self-liberating design project, which is what is emerging right now as the great hope of humanity i think in general is our what it would once people realize um that there is a shot for us if they haven't already completely given up then that is it is us cooperating with one another and it's great because it's going to be like for me another way i like to put it when people are like how are you going to really like return us to world peace and have all these people forgive um each other because i've already worked with so many different um groups as like a mediator um and I just remind people, like, remember what it's like to all have recess together and, and you you can't really, like, keep fighting because you know we're all going to be on the playground together at one point. Like, whatever happens in class, whatever happens after school, before school, at home, whatever, the goal, the childhood dream is that everyone can, like, go to recess or be on, outside playing together in some kind of peace because it's play. It's not so serious. That's the idea. It's, it's a time for play. It's a time for forgiveness. It's a time for letting go, for joy. But what we're so far removed from play because our our lives are so incredibly serious. We've already recognized we're living in refugee conditions and hostage situations. So it's gotten very serious and dark <laughs> for many of us, and so many people. Who that's are in, even in that's even in like the richest countries in the world, you know. Facts. That's even in the best conditions of all conditions are still slave conditions, um, which speaks to again just the planetary condition. I wanted to uh, I wanted to loop Matt back into the conversation because for one I didn't want to really want to uh, interrupt your uh, your river you're like you're like a river that like uh, has been dammed for many uh, centuries and it's just been broken through and you're just crashing through I love it it's 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 a splendor it's a splendiferous ride and Uh, and I'm I'm just in here with my little kayak or my little fucking uh, boogie board just you know right along for the ride loving it but uh, yeah Matt I would love to link I'm blown away I'm blown away I did not expect you to be in. all this stuff this is awesome so what does your company do exactly i'm like so like do you work with larger organizations i'm just, i'm so curious like what you actually do and what your company does and yeah. like who you do work with and what you've yeah. done and where you're going and all this sort of stuff thank you they're they're <laughs> <No, my. laughs> 
Um, I was gonna say, I was gonna say they're the ones that are behind this whole plastic straw campaign, like all this beautiful talk and like rhetoric and this high-minded like visualization of the world. And you're like, oh yeah, we make a, a we make sustainable detergent. Yeah, right. Yeah. I'm a yeah. Greenwasher. I work for big pharma Ooh. and big oil. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, okay, no. <laughs> Thank God, no. Um, we're, we're the ones yeah. that figured out that you could just uh, make your packaging green and people and you can say it's environmental and not do anything environmental, but as long as the packaging is green or like yeah. earth tones or beige yeah. exactly sustainable yeah, you could say like we Boom. love you sustainable say, exactly you could say IR we love earth on a <laughs> nuclear weapon and sell it at target you know so <laughs> <laughs> that would sell probably just put some put some little frills on it i mean and, and knowing in this economy <laughs> it'll be on sale <laughs> it'll be on the sale right when you walk in right of course i, I wanted to Absolutely. i want to say real, real quick i, yeah. I, I want to i want a good answer aisle. that question too though i think it's really funny that um one of the articles you sent me that you were featured in with all these like climate ex and sustainability experts. And it's like the, the head of sustainability for Exxon, the head of sustainability for Shell, like this head of sustainability for Toyota. And it's like, these are like, these are the arch greenwashers of the world, you know? And I, I just think yeah. it's so interesting. And it, it brings my heart uh, joy that we have, you know, one of us is, 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 you know, in the ranks there and that we're, we're able to actually navigate through this system that this calamitous crisis, this biological reality that is inarguable, well, you can argue it, with it, but it's like arguing with, with a raging inferno. It's like mm -hmm. arguing with a volcano, you know, mm -hmm. it's insane. But this is the fact that we can't, we can't argue this anymore, that all the arguments of the past for revolution and decolonization and a change of everything and a re, and a, you know, a re restoration of our relationship with nature these were all seen as just such silly things. Oh, oh, sorry. One more, one more little tangent here. I was thinking earlier about land and the word land is so insufficient for what it is because you think about this flat thing, maybe there's some hills, like it's a thing, like it's a blanket on the ground and not trillions of organisms, like a living all soil, living are. root systems, millions of side. insects and bugs well, and, and literally connected to the property. whole planet. That's what it is. That's what it property. is. Them. It's our property. Get off my, my property. property. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, with new climate and land back, which is what I describe as my culture, as the founder of new climate culture, um, we are working to, uh, we are partnered with different groups that are ready, willing, and actively returning land to indigenous First Nations, um, hmm. which is something that's important to me it's not the forefront of the work that we're doing every day but it is important and worth mentioning because it's the deeper political philosophical um truth and spiritual truth um of the company and um yeah so we i i was taught in universities uh in the u.s across the u.s um I have sat at like vice president's tables, president's tables to basically give huge downloads of information to leadership about what the current state of um, decolonization is relative to climate science, especially after um, the 2020 Paris Agreement was updated. The UN uh, agreement was updated to include decolonization because that used to be a word I couldn't say in every environment I was in for fear of my life. Um, but I was still doing it and saying it behind closed doors and very pro adamant about who I am and what I'm doing. So anyone who's known me over the last 15 years, um, can testify to that. But, 
Um, it wasn't until very recently that I could take my company to uh, this next level of becoming, I could publicly speak as a expert in decolonization living strategies. And um, I am teaching about, again, whole system. So I'm trying to basically show what is the climate disaster and what are all the solutions and all the presentations and projects that I'm working on across different groups. I've done the corporate consulting, like I said, worked for uh, universities and institutions to come in and educate their leadership to try and begin to re-steer the Titanic that is um, sometimes their uh, programs, like their agroforestry programs are sinking ships that are based off of poof nothing made up european information that doesn't apply to north america um, or made up information that is just irrelevant and incorrect um and based off coming from monsanto or something or you know whoever um and i'm there to again i feel like i'm trying to steer the titanic away from that iceberg is like what it feels like when i'm in those roles and then when i'm in a corporate role it's much more um fun usually in the sense of they're they have resources attention and money to move and so it's really great that i've been able to work with some really woke um and dedicated companies that are like or awakening companies, because um, we're always awakening to the, the problems of today, every day. And um, they are, yeah, just ready to reshape culture, even helping shape corporate culture too, and make it more cooperative and more equitable is like a huge part of what I do. Um, and then we've, we build businesses for people that are circular economy, carbon sequestration businesses. Technically my company is a think tank and that's why we get to do all these things that are all over the place. Cause a traditional company would not set up a business model like mine. They would niche in very hard to a very specific market with a very specific solution and make that their entire programming. Um, and then maybe create other businesses that are modeled off of that same niching. I mean, essentially you could see it like that in the sense of each niche I'm entering is like an arm of like the octopus that is my company. So instead of just having like new climate do one thing and then creating other companies to explain the other things that we're doing, we're trying to keep us more whole and holistic than that so that when anyone interacts with our company on one facet, whether it's cultural consulting and events design or um, festival building or commune building um, or how do I um, carbon sequester or offset carbon for my company, all these questions, we're able to bring it back to the source, which is again talking about um, basically what is economics what is climate science what is uh liberation because they're so connected you can't remove climate science from liberation you can't it's just yeah. totally impossible they tried trust me they tried for years that's why so many of my colleagues were murdered disappeared or lost faith or have just been banging their head against uh, a wall and talking to echo chambers is because they have there's people in power that have been so certain that you can have this fun disneyland version of reality um with no cost uh it, it's just not no real yeah. cost just money yeah. just money that's made up yeah. that they get they get you know is injected into their arm every time the fucking market collapses 
or in, in any other ways that they can, you know, shift derivatives yeah, around or so invest in this. Or, money's you know, a culture. It's not the money's real cost. Money's a culture and it's a cult and it wants you. It, it's coming for your soul. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it, it really sounds like you're just taking a really diverse <laughs> yep. approach and kind of hitting this from all the angles that you possibly can. Is that kind totally, of what yeah. I'm gathering? I, I was joking. So I met one of my heroes this summer and who also is one of the partners with my company now. And his name is Brad Lancaster. Your listeners absolutely have to check him out. He is so hmm. cool. He's an anarchist who is from who's from Tucson, Arizona, lives in Tucson, Arizona. And he has done incredible things for Tucson to um, break the laws and the rules so that people could harvest their own rainwater again, because that used to be hmm. illegal. In, and it is still illegal in so many counties across the this country uh, and cities across the country to collect your own rainwater, yeah. that God-given fruit from the sky that is the source of all life. And so Brad Lancaster is a great person to check out. And anyway, I was talking to him this summer about my company and he was like, whoa, you're doing a lot, you know? And I was like, well, because all my mentors in permaculture who are geniuses, who are doing the most, they're doing so much, but... I was like, all right. And they're so humble. So many good people are so humble. Okay. So this is really my thinking and it's really my joke, but this is my personality and who I am. I saw so many good people being so damn humble and I love them and they're geniuses. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to be smart like them, but I'm going to be the most unhumble, ambitious asshole I can think of because I want to see what that alchemy is like when, when, when I'm selfish and when I want to say like, look, I've got good ideas and, and you've got to listen to them. What's going to happen when I do that? Instead of constantly apologizing for my good ideas, constantly excusing my good ideas for not making sense to some people and stuff like that. And it really has allowed me to have this broader reach. So I want to, I've been encouraging fellow permaculture designers, philosophers, and uh, climate scientists for years that are younger than me, I've been saying to them, step up into leadership. You are ready. You have all of the skills or, or not just younger than me. Anytime, if you're anywhere in the world in a position of responsibility with access to meaningful resources, take advantage of this moment. I'm empowering you right now through the podcast to step into the role of being a little bit more selfish, a little bit more ambitious, a little bit more um, reach for the stars because I know that to get here, to get where I am, I went to Harvard. I did the Ivy league thing. I got good grades. I jumped through hoops. I did the research thing. They still wanted to reject me and call me insane until I completely left the PhD track, went on my own for 10 years, foraging in the woods like a mad cave woman came back and now everyone wants to buy my kool-aid so basically <laughs> don't listen to the speculators and the haters if you know you've got a good idea you have That's to run awesome. with it no matter what i mean I, I i i just think all of this stuff is so insane the the pressure to perform under capitalism and look a certain way i'm even thinking about how I was like in the sun laboring for most of my twenties and how I was doing that, but thinking like, man, I'm going to probably wrinkle faster than all these girls who sit at home with their face masks on and their, their, their red light treatments and all this other stuff. Cause I'm out here and I'm, I'm, a, I'm laboring and I'm building stuff and whatever. But then there's a flip side. There's an upside because I'm so damn strong now at 30. I can handle wheelbarrows, climbing up the sides of buildings, repairing things. Sorry. I just wanted to, I wanted to catch, catch, catch that there and, um, kind of give a little 
sort of agree and disagree at the same time. I think that the impulse to self-mastery is essential. And I think that like the essential lesson of Don Quixote is is not like look at this idiot. It's be crazy. It's it's be insane. It's it's risk all the ridicule in the world to go throw yourself out there and say, "Hell yeah, I want to save the world. That's my goal. I want nothing less." Nothing, anything less than that is beneath me as a human being. And I think in the principle of autonomy, uh, that assertion of like, no, I'm not going to wait for the ordained leaders. I'm going to assert that I am a part of the leadership of the future, that all of us are, that any of us cannot assert that so that it is uh, over other people, that is stepping on other people. But I think that all of us need to recognize that we have a voice and are an essential piece of feedback an essential component of this in the way that the humble lowly worm is absolutely essential to the life of the eagle you know to oh, the wow. to the big apex predators that the krill is essential to the shark that's lived for built you know how many millions of years it's like all of us has a really essential part to play in this but i, I can't think of the quote well, but it was something about realism, like, like kind of makes us afraid to go outside literally and like be an animal again and be wild and as far as saving the world goes i think also saving ourselves or saving the world from ourselves is also important um from like my experience with other folks like me who are highly ambitious um and want to be leaders or chiefs or um again like save the world complex like we really <laughs> are i feel like i'm really saving the world from all my vices by tapping into my virtues i'm like okay mm. i'm saving the world from a version of me that is just absolutely either you know because life is a spectrum so like either absolutely evil or just mundane and unaware and uninterested and apathetic instead of going totally to, relate to that yes instead <laughs> i'm going to provide the world with a version of myself that is so optimistic and ambitious that i won't have an excuse for um anything and also if i don't make it if i don't you know if i don't accomplish the the goal of whatever saving the world or something it's that's it's it's never been about that it's always definitely the journey you have to enjoy what you're doing otherwise i would have already gone mad trying to get here i i have to every day and i would have gone mad this week if i didn't find things to do that would relieve all the tension and anxiety and get back to play because we're definitely again i'm not a machine or a robot i'm not just here to serve um humanity i'm also here to serve myself but yeah <laughs> Like Facebook says, move fast and break things, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 I think it's really as, cool that you're they, kind of into as their data centers are their largest, some of the largest polluters yeah, in the right. world. As and their like, like, their algorithms are leading, as their algorithms are like toppling third world foreign governments. We're like, move as slow like, and this fix is mega things. monopoly destroying yeah. the fucking earth. We're like, move slow and fix things. They're like, move fast and break it. Yeah, pretty much, you know, but I mean, I think I think it's cool that you're, that you're into all that stuff, because I mean, a lot of it's exactly aligned with what, you know, we're trying to do, or me personally, even in my life, you know, trying to get this regenerative farm going, trying to, like, mycology projects, we're even looking into, like, carbon sequestration projects, it'd be really cool to talk to you more about that, and kind of, you know, maybe pick your brain about, like, where to go, you know, as a landowner, and where we might be able to take things, like, you know, in the direction of carbon sequestration, and actually creating viable businesses, because that's the kind of 
that's exactly the direction we're headed and even trying to create communities and things like that. You know, we're not like a huge budget or anything at this point, but that's, that's one of the main reasons why we bought this property is to do projects like that and to branch out and start doing all, you know, essentially hit it from multiple angles. You know, we don't want to just get one thing. It's like, like in the book that I'm talking about too, I I don't know. I don't know if you're aware. I, I wrote a book, basically like the same title, Moneyless Society is the organization and whatnot, but like we want to create a system essentially for universal basic goods and services where everything where where we can essentially create a network of cooperatives and cooperatives can network with one another and start essentially giving the surplus of what they're creating to their members for free right we we purposely decommodify these objects by creating a surplus with cooperatives you know open sourcing them and whatnot and then we build on that start ne- yeah, networking cooperatives one that. through the other through the other through the other and with through a network of cooperatives we create a system that gives its members universal basic goods and services so over time we start phasing in the system of universal basic goods and services we phase out salaries and things like that we start open sourcing more and more goods creating more cooperatives and the system kind of grows and develops and snowballs and builds in and on itself you know and so creating these cooperatives like we've got a couple co- like uh, Cody Harrison with solar or, or not solar corona enterprises he's here in Incident need us uh he's he's setting up a cooperative and he's very aligned with what we're doing and uh you know kind of the beginnings of these little things you know little pockets here one cooperative can create food and uh, maybe even just a specific type of food another cooperative create you know can start creating growing growing cotton yeah. and creating clothing I've and things lived like in that eco villages and, like you know? this. i've lived in cooperatives like this where there's um a space for the potters to make pottery for the village there's a space for shoemakers yeah. to make shoes for the village place for exactly clothing, a place for food and eating and, and so we're talking about doing that except on a larger like city scale even i mean maybe not city but larger entities you know cooperative yeah, that's, with more... that's, we can work on any level like as my company we could consult um you know our day rates start at two thousand five hundred dollars for a day um and then beyond that we work with larger contracts and we also have a school yeah. um, with a scholarship program so we have a school it's pretty expensive um but we have a scholarship and since you're already in the community of kind of permaculture you would apply you would be it would apply to you and the scholarship takes the ticket from fifteen thousand dollars um for an like a, a year's subscription down to uh, $1,500. So hmm. we do have like some more accessible um, levels of entry. And we also, you might be interested in being a part of or helping us um, with our programming for a new um, Slack channel that we're going to start. And the Slack channel is gonna be for people who wanna connect for specifically seed exchange recipes um, and food systems. But by nice. extension, we could have sub channels for um, trading and gift exchange economies and service exchange economies as well. So that we can just, yeah, build the the people, as many people who are believing in this as possible and participating in it as possible will be the outgrowing of the old system. We will literally yeah. overgrow and outgrow them ourselves. And exactly. And something yep. I recently used in a marketing material that y'all might find interesting in our, we're going to have a food forest panel that we're um, going to push out in our next marketing push this month and uh, featuring, you know, watershed experts and business experts and myself. And we're going to be talking about, um, uh, I, j- I just like slipped my mind, but it's on my screen. So maybe I can just pull it up again. Um, 
tell you love when that's that happens. Fine. No worries. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> no, it's good. No, oh, I said, it's all, oh, it's all super it. cool, though. Now I remember right, it. Go it's, ahead. it's what can you imagine? Um, like, what would the constraints be to produce the most abundant agricultural civilization, global agricultural civilization that the world has ever seen? And that's really the question that we want to bring to people's attention. First and mm. foremost is like, okay, throw every other concern about society and civilization out the window for a second. And just let's, let's focus on this one question. What would it take to design the most abundant agricultural civilization globally possible. And then I think that again, feeding people is just is is so important. It's as important as giving land yeah. back to people. People need to have free food and water. It's an inalienable right, as they say in our constitution. Absolutely. So, yeah, whole, wholeheartedly uh, follow agree. up question on that on that question. Um, you know, th that could be its own podcast and we could we could you know, do another and another and another and make that the big question. But that's a question I think about a lot. I think that the the way forward is to transition to a hard regenerative economy and to shift away from not just agriculture in terms of food, but, you know, as humanity has existed for so long, fibers and building materials. I mean, we yes. can transition to creating that's regenerative biomaterials like what we were talking about hemp earlier. We we're talking about hemp and bamboo and other fiber, fibrous, you know, textiles Whoa. that can be, or ma mm -hmm. materials that can be turned for into anything from silk to steel rebar to graphene that we can make high technology out of nature. We can grow metals. There are certain flowers that are produced that are iron rich that you can literally grow flowers. You can grow a field of metal <laughs> like that. That I think is the is really the the next phase of technological development and it, it's it's there's a lot of like rifts going on in the sort of post-scarcity community and in, in terms of um people talking about the hard limitations in the world that we are coming up upon the end of peak we're coming up to peak oil and the energy blindness that we experience is really tremendous and the transition to renewable energy that a lot of people in these climate circles even radicals even the green new deal and all this stuff has is completely energy blind because yeah. renewable energy is ultimately made out of metals it's made of metals and lithium and you know all these components the that it takes to make wind turbines and solar panels trigger but friendly solutions are yeah but like yeah, other, we can like, grow all of these things if we read a, yeah. if we switch from the basis being technological solutions like creating a fucking machine to do what a leaf does to saying okay let's create an agricultural foundation of society where we are working with plants and animals in a in a fluid relationship where their lives are seen as just as valuable as ours not in a hippy dippy you know a hypothetical way but literally because our society depends upon it that's how we make stuff well, yeah, that's I'd how we get have our my stuff. air filtered by plants that will um continually filter the air around my house for the next 400 years or 700 years or got you know inshallah 1000 years and instead of my kids having to worry about going to a job so that they can afford an air filter from uh some company like <laughs> walking around the cities with a fucking right. air air mask right. that becomes normalized within two weeks of doing it forever it's just it's absurd you know yeah i had something there and i lost it i was gonna damn it oh my bad 
Well, this is super no, no, ahead, exciting. I, I just, I just think you're just so on the right track with all of this. It's, it's incredible, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where you and your company go. And you know, I'd love to talk to you more about the projects that we're doing, and maybe you know, collaborating somehow with you know, just trying to get some of this stuff up and running, and forming cooperatives and all this other stuff. And um, yeah. you know, it's super cool. I'm, I'm really happy, you know, to just to, to, to speak with somebody so aligned in so many ways. So I think that's, I think that's really Me awesome. Too. I'm so happy to be on like the coolest podcast ever aka the moneyless you know society podcast because what else like what other like podcast am i really trying to be you know on like i'm i'm here for the the really radical ideas that that are radically uh creative and radically um intuitive and um and I think that, yeah, it's great to have community together. And I think that we're going to continue to grow. And I'm super excited to see, you know, where I can go and what I can do too. And having really intelligent, challenging people around me is good for me because, um, like what I said is my minimum requirement for working in my company is that you're not afraid of me because I'm not here to be the top down pyramid Cleopatra, you know, monarch of my company where <laughs> everything I say goes and I'm the only, uh, mad hatter genius in, in the tea party. No, every single person is again, like you were saying, um, Zag, like is just so valuable and is so essential to the whole system. And it's through that awareness awakening of each person realizing how powerful they are. That's the awakening I want. I don't want to be powerful. I'm only powerful compared to other people who haven't had the time and resources and privilege to access what I have. And like I, I was just at this conference in DC and, and people asked me a question about why I do what I do. And I'm saying, if I'm not spending every second of my day that is available, um, on thinking about basically decolonization and climate science and climate change, then I'm not functioning. Like that's not who I am. That's not, it's not acceptable to me. It's just not um, what I'm interested in or how I'm interested in living. I'm very happy to work on these problems. I don't see it as a burden. I'm not, uh, I don't, I think, I thank uh, the great spirit and the great cosmos that I get to think about this stuff and meet people like you. It's not uh, a burden to me to be at the fringe of society. It's not a burden to me anymore that people called me crazy and, uh, and, uh, privileged and uh, name any, any, any slur, um, to describe capitalism that I'm doing, right? The ultimate slur. Even a capitalist, I've been called by other anarchists a capitalist, you know. And I, and all That's of that right. can't get in the way. If you know yourself, it can't get in the way. But having good friends to challenge you is good. And there's a balance between, um, like, name calling is far less useful than wait. There might be this problem with your idea, um, and I do want to hear about that. And I'm here for the the lifelong conversation with other philosophers um, and just just humans, just spiritual beings, embodied beings on this planet. Which is the question of what are we doing here, and is it meaningful, and can we find meaning and joy together? And I definitely have uh, found meaning and joy in my work and in meeting folks like y'all and so i hope that we just all continue to skyrocket together um and skyrocket in the sense of growing up quickly and freely toward the light Beautiful. Yeah, i just want to say that that being radical that i you're a truly radical person you know and, and not just in the fact that you can't be pinned down and that that is a dangerous quality <laughs> i think that you know we need to embody 
you know, that this is an intersectional issue. This is a crisis of everything. We need people to understand complexity and not be afraid of it. And like you're saying, you have to be courageous. Like we have no sense of courage. We have, we don't value courage. We value bullies. We value brutality, but we don't value courage, the courage to, to risk looking stupid, mm -hmm. the courage to risk opening your mouth and being called something for it, the courage to risk being shut down. Yeah. And the I just think to that go to jail, the courage to go to war, the courage to have your head blown off for yeah. saying, for challenging the powerful people in the world and yeah. saying, we need to love each other, Yeah. you know, but to be radical, I mean, the root, the root word of radical is, it's in botany. It means getting down to the root. And I think that to be radical truly means to get back to life, that it is to get out of this dream that we've been stuck in, that is so unnatural, that, it, that we're going through this boxed existence, traveling in our cars on these highways. You know, we can go weeks, weeks, especially in a place like New York, without interacting with life. You know, people could be living in a, in a space station with a screen that's projecting the sky. They wouldn't know. I feel and <laughs> like I live in a space station just living, you know, in Airbnbs or sometimes or from house to house sometimes. Like, I really, really love living on a commune the most. And that's where I'm the happiest. I've always said that. And I'll continue to say that. I love people. I love witnesses. First of all, like, how great is it if you get in an argument with someone and there's people around so that you don't have to be like he said versus she said or whatever. Like, people are great. <laughs> in the sense of you know having people around to help us regulate our community is so important mm. and uh yeah like being radical and being ready to experiment and ready to really like for me it's simple i think for so many people like us it's simple like you ask yourself like what is worth doing today really and what whatever today is today could come when you're 60 years old or today could come when you're 12 years old but we have to ask ourselves that question at some point what am i really doing today and I actually might have a choice in it. And how creative can I get? Because I swear, like people think that they they can't do this and they can't do this and they can't do this because of money. And I'm just like, I my brain starts lighting up in every sector and I start going mad with creativity because I'm like, there has to be a way. Instead of instead of thinking there isn't a way, we have to actually assume the complete opposite in order to find a solution. And that's going to be the number one thing that we can do to be problem solvers and to deal with complexity. So you say complexity too, mm -hmm. and now you've got me excited because I used to work <laughs> on complexity theory when I was an AI scientist. That was one of the things we're studying was like, how do systems interact um, across like big series of complexities like how do birds all fly together in these large groups and how do, does um s discrete systems of of cells come together to to form something um unified um or like even how how is it that um a coral that has that comes it's the same species that's over in um east indian ocean knows that at the same exact time of year in in the caribbean at the same night the same full moon they're going to spawn and it's they don't have communication for thousands of years they haven't communicated for hundreds of thousands of years sometimes millions of years but they're still operating on the same biological rhythms because they're just tapped in to what works for them and and these this is complexity for sure and this is what how do we handle complexity well through storytelling for sure, through data analysis sometimes, definitely qualitative reporting, and also through a kind of surrender to complexity itself. Sometimes the only way we can understand complexity or begin to approach complexity is by simply understanding that, not that we can't, but that 
it's going to take a little while. It's going to take a lot of creativity. And, but certainly that believing that we can approach the complexity is the only way to actually solve the issue within the complexity. We cannot think that the complexity is larger than us or smaller than us for that matter either. That's the very domesticated idea of like, oh, well, I can just solve any problem that comes to me because mm -hmm. I'm a, a god on this earth. Well, the, yes, within some limits, always within some <laughs> limits and finding out and being humble to those limits will be where the solutions always are. Yeah, exactly. And I think just one thing that I'd like to, you know, kind of stress a lot in addition to that too, I think is it's like, you know, it's, it's not just one solution, it's all the solutions and, and it's different solutions in different times and yeah. different places and it's going to evolve and we're going to continually learn from all this stuff. You know, it's right. like people are like, oh, how's it going to work? How is a moneyless society going to work? Are you kidding me? It's going to work in a million different ways and a million different fashions for a million How different people. How do you people. want it to work? You know? Is the <laughs> yeah. first question to start the conversation. Like, how is it going exactly. to work? How do you want it to work? I can tell you about how right, I want right. it to work and then we'll figure out from there how we'll work together because we could be a moneyless society right now just you and me in front of you could be right. the beginning of a moneyless society because we could be the beginning of a moneyless exchange and again people don't realize how much we're in moneyless exchange already until we're gonna start charging each other for conversations because it's gonna be like <laughs> time is gonna be so expensive we're gonna have to clock in with each other for for any any kind of recreation but that's of course hilarious. that's what we're fighting against and what we're pointing out and joking at is because like oh god let's not opt into that user experience right well good stuff i just want to say to, go ahead marla go, no go Sorry. ahead i was, was going to wrap us up but go ahead yeah no that's what i was just going to say too it's it's pr we're probably coming up to the time i got to go pick up the kiddo so yeah. <laughs> i've had to pee for about an, an hour but i just wanted to say that i say this a lot that there are there are more solutions than there are problems mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. every problem that we face today Technically, yes. is, is it going to happen? Is it likely? Is it very unlikely? This, are the odds against us that it could not happen? Yes. But there is a technical solution. There is. It is possible that we can solve each of these problems individually. And if we can embrace complexity and work together and, and step outside of the, of the old control paradigm and experience the terrifying freedom yeah. of truly submitting to this world, to, to saying, we're not actually in control, okay? The yeah, earth is, is, the, is in control. Step the earth is in control and we work with it. But yeah. if we can solve these problems, we will become aware of new problems we could not even imagine because we are so tuned to the limitations of our individual success, of how am I doing, of playing the rules of this game, of wondering, do I have enough money? You know, it's like when I, when I was, when I came back from like hitchhiking and traveling and realizing you could do things for free, I tried to give this to people and no one cared. No one wanted it. No one believed me. They all told me, no, I need to save up money for a little while. I need to do this. And I was like, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need money to do this. You don't need money to see the world. Yep. You don't need all the things you, you don't need a house. Too you late. don't need a job. You don't need all of these, <laughs> all of these things are holding you back from your true highest form from yeah. even knowing who and what you are. And no one believes you. But you know what? We're being forced to change and evolve and adapt. 
And I think that that process scares the shit out of people it because the they, it starts with a free conversation. They already are participating <laughs> in a gift economy in exchange because they're they just challenge them back against that. Like, all right, well, time to pay me for the conversation. Then if you love money so much, pay me for the conversation. I'm charging you. Like, and then they'll say that people have got to start to get it, that we cannot commodify every, everything. Um, and that, that is the root of, of these issues that we're, we're in well said well um this is this is the first of uh of, of many conversations you know we, we're a little further than we were when we started and next time we're going to be a little further after that and a little further after that nice. and we're going to bring in more minds and we're going to keep growing this fungal intelligent crackling living electrical water system hydrology of of, of uh, human beings crashing into each other and melting ourselves down into each other that is the human yeah. experience of conversation of networking or consciousness to become something that it was not before but yeah i really have to pee so let's <laughs> <laughs> All of these things, all these concepts strung together paint the new picture, a larger picture of what kind of relationship we can have with each other as humans, what kind of economic relationships we can have, and of course, just what kind of lifestyles are possible for us here on Earth in the future moving forward, moving away from the past, but having learned lessons from it and appreciating and respecting the past truly for what it was so that we can recycle ourselves in the system, be liberated from the past and build something truly creative and new and innovative and inspiring because I think that's what every community on earth needs is that continuous evolution, inspiration and growth so that we remember why we're here and that the earth really does provide. The earth provides abundance. Oh, the people you'll meet and the places you'll go when you devote your life to something higher than just your own self and the meager goals of an insane society trapped in its own maze. So right after this episode finished recording, Elsa and I hatched a plot to uh, travel up the coast together in her school bus and film material for the film that I've been shooting and for her company. The full video will come out soon on her channel. The whole thing really just epitomizes what an adventure this life can be when we follow our intuition, when we devote ourselves to something greater than ourselves and when we walk out that door i can't tell you how many magic school bus rides i've been on like this each one has taken me to wonderful places <laughs> to adventures in volcanic lakes and weed forests and to sidewalk camps and mountains and canyons and rivers and everything in between to finding love in the most unlikely places i've seen and experienced and experiences like this just jumping in the car with a stranger finding that intuition, that will, and that whim, and just following it, and seeing where it takes you. And this, I think, really is the way to reconnect to ourself. Not our individual self, but the self that is much greater than you or I, the self that is an inter like companion plants in a garden. We all uplift each other and come together to create something like a forest, something much greater than we are alone. I just want to encourage all of you out there to find the opportunity, make the opportunity, and get out there and make it. Follow that whim. Chase it all the way to the end of the earth, or the earth will end. The alternative is a great adventure the likes of which we could never have ever dreamed of in the prisons of civilization, in the box of our own narrow personal individual goals, and in the loneliness 
of our own debts and obligations and the lack of community that is life as we know it. So reach out, take that step, join us. Let's do something about it. I used to evangelically try to convince people that the solution to all their problems was to give up money and go travel around the world as that was the solution to all of my problems, every single one. And that's just led me to an even greater adventure to go beyond myself. And so I just encourage all of you to change your parameters and see that the conveniences and comforts and things that keep you complacent, many of these are really excuses or challenges to overcome together from all different levels of ability and privilege. And they're things that keep us, all of us, from a true and beautiful sense of that which we fear most, freedom.